Welcome to Ask AI, the podcast that brings you insightful interviews and news from the world of Canadian artificial intelligence. This episode is sponsored by Microsoft Canada. Microsoft is committed to building trusted and responsible AI systems. To learn more, go to microsoft.com AI and check out their free AI business school to start building intelligence into your solutions today. We're also sponsored by Sinchi, the global leader in data fabric technology. Visit Sinchi.com to learn how to eliminate integration and turbocharge your AI transformation. Hello, AI enthusiasts, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we welcome Dan Demirs to the show. Dan is a CEO and co-founder of Sinchi, a pioneer in data fabric technology with a lot of buzz and recognition in the community. For full transparency, just so you know, Sinchi is a great sponsor of the Ask AI podcast, and we're really happy to have them aboard as a sponsor. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you. Happy to be here. So Dan, starting off with the basics, Sinchi is a pretty interesting name. What does it mean? Yeah, it's a play on the word cinch, which means simple. And there's a couple of interesting other points around that name that I did not expect when we chose the name initially. The first is, for me, the word cinch was a word that I just grew up knowing. And I now have come to realize that it seems about half of the world has never heard of the word cinch, and the other half knows it as familiar as the word the. And the other thing that I realized was that Cinchy is also a horse that is agitated because the cinch is tied too tightly to the point where once I learned that, we did experiment with the idea of our avatar being an angry horse because he's so agitated, not because the cinch is so tight, but because there's so much integration and copying of data <laughs> in the world. But we decided not to go down that path. And then the final piece is our product manager, actually, her name happens to be Cinchy and spelled differently. So yeah, we definitely love her name. That's awesome. Can't imagine that actually an angry horse logo, that'd be pretty funny. Um, <laughs> but uh, maybe more like a sports team. The idea of this horse just waiting to be unleashed, though, is almost like the data that's waiting to be unleashed. So so maybe I actually like that. Very <laughs> cool that you have a product lead, too, who, who effectively has uh, such a similar sounding name. Yeah. That's awesome. And I know I've seen you guys since the early days back in Techstars and always been fascinated with what you're up to. It's been amazing to see you evolve You know, with a recent raise, how fast the team is growing. For the listeners, sort of, I, I wanted to paint the picture of how incredible it's been to see Sinchi. But also, before we jump into that and sort of the growth, I want to go into some of the fundamentals first, Dan. Uh, for example, like one of the basic foundations of your organization is what you now call a data fabric. And I'm wondering if you could tell us more about that and, and familiarize the audience with that term. Yeah, for sure. So data fabric is definitely a new paradigm that's very quickly emerging. It's a pretty big shift in how we think about data and the relationship between data and applications. And if you follow any of the industry analysts that look at technology like Gartner and Forrest and others, they'll talk about this being really the hottest technology trend around and very much heavily influencing not only the future of data, but even the future of applications. But really what it's doing at its core, it's applying a network-based architecture to managing data, where the data is disconnected from individual applications. It's not owned by the software or by the applications. It's actually owned by the people. And the software then gets access to that. So it's kind of like the establishment of a central power grid and the individual apps are like buildings that can draw down from that power versus every building having to generate its own power. That's incredibly fascinating. And I think that's a really good sort of analogy for the experience. And I know I some even recent reports Gardner's listing you as one of the hottest top technologies in the data management space. There's more similarities as opposed to even like the way that the brain organizes information. Is there any other ways that you think it's more easy for people to understand really what you're getting at? 
Yeah. So you mentioned the brain as an example. That's one of the inspirations for the design, actually. And a lot of people don't know these facts, but uh, like each of our brains is managing more data than the biggest company on the entire planet. And uh, let's just say it doesn't work by creating thousands of copies of the same piece of information. And what I personally find the most fascinating about it is very much the kind of core inspiration for the design is the fact that uh, right from the moment of birth to the end of our lives, our brain is continuously being rewired. It's reorganizing. So as you learn new information, acquire new skills, it's not just adding, your your head would just explode. It's it's rearranging, it's reorganizing. It's like a hard drive that's defragging itself on a continual basis. And, and there's actually been a, a study that was published just a, a few years back that concluded that the more efficient pathways in your brain are, the higher IQ one has. So if you think about that, the more efficient the information highway in your mind is, the more intelligent you are. But if you think of how it works inside of uh, big companies, how they manage data, like the equivalent of, of an enterprise brain, it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't allow the the reorganization of data. It's, it's just continuously adding. So in a world where the data is just trapped inside of individual application data stores with very rigid designs, if you go and change it, it's going to break a bunch of things. So anyone who works in IT knows that just don't change, just that, and uh, just put some lipstick in the, on the pig. And little did people realize, because this has been true for like 40 years, is that's ultimately what is limiting the establishment of true enterprise intelligence, and not to mention the other byproducts of the fact that the data is being copied all over the place. So think of it as just really quite simply, it's it's applying the, the principles of how your your mind is managing information and creating the equivalent of a brain for a company for, for an enterprise. That's fascinating, and, and you know, as we as we talk about AI and machine learning and all these different pieces more in general, I think it's sometimes easy to get away from the fact that if we're trying to create these neural networks, we need to have the brain infrastructure in place. Right. in the first place to really, really create those systems and make it happen. But I will challenge you on this because I think a lot of companies will come into the forefront and say, we're going to make everything great. All the data is going to be there. Everything's going to be awesome. I know you guys are different, but I'd love for you to explain really why that's the case. Yeah. So the the main difference is the, the actual thesis of our company is pretty unique because our view is that the future is inevitably one where people have control over their data. And if, if you think about it today, there's no one who would, who would argue that today everyone is in full control of their data. It's known to be false. But if you buy into that thesis and you, and you believe like we do, that that is absolutely inevitable and the, the future of uh, society and democracy and other things are conditional upon that, and therefore will enable that, then if you work backward from how technology works today, you'll realize that that's just not compatible. So the you know continued proliferation of apps that manage data and the siloing of data and the integration and copying of data is ultimately what blocks that ability for individuals to rightfully get control back over their data. So the, the way that we've designed it is working back from that, uh, which is what really we consider our checkmate is, is that future. So the moves that we're doing on the board are really in enabling the, the advancement towards that outcome. And it just so happens that the only path to enabling that is one that eliminates this age-old uh, phenomena of integration. And, uh, you know, integration is today not necessarily perceived as a bad thing, but, you know, in a, in a big company, it consumes half of their entire IT budget. And integration is a glorified way of saying copy data around endlessly. That's kind of sadly, like when I was in IT working in a big bank, that's that was my job is to literally just copy data, APIs, ETLs, and do it over and over again. So 
what differentiates Sinchi is is the vision of eliminating that, not not making it better, not addressing the individual symptoms, which is what, uh, for the most part, any technology innovation that's come out over the past decades is, is doing it, a better way of integrating, you know, data streaming, uh, better reconciliations, data virtualization, like all these different things are symptomatic relief. They're not addressing the root cause. So by addressing the root cause, it's really enabling the data to become autonomous and independent from the applications. And that that approach is very unique to us and ultimately enables the elimination of point-to-point integration. And I think that's one of the it's kind of the classic problems that enterprises have been having is, you know, you've got a got all these great new systems, but then you have to reintegrate every time there's a new evolution, everything's happening kind of in isolation. And in some ways you have to you have to repeat the process. But I mean I, I'm excited about the promise Sinchi and, and everything you talk about, it, it is incredibly exciting. The idea that things could be far more flexible, could work far more autonomously, it wouldn't have to work point to point. One of the things I always think about, though, in the context of what you're doing is control. And I know you talk about that in your messaging, but in terms of an actual outcome, who gets control of what? Like how it is in this type of data fabric, where we're normally very familiar with the ideas of ownership, of access, who gets control? Yeah, and that's that is a big hairy question. And a platform that enables the uh, establishment of control uh, doesn't mean that that is an easy transition, because <laughs> in an organization, as an example, where there may be you know hundreds or thousands of copies of a single piece of data, there's no point in even asking that question because anyone who is deemed to have control, it's paper control. It's not actual being in physical control over, over that information. But when that technology now enables that, the answer to that question is critically important. And that's definitely something that I'll be honest, we don't have all the answers in terms of how one systematically goes about assigning ownership to all data that exists, uh, be it personal information or organizational information. But what I do have a lot of confidence is the enablement of uh, technology will inevitably result in that ownership being established. But that's going to be kind of a big, hairy problem that's kind of the next hurdle to overcome. And the answer on how to do that is to do it piece by piece. So as organizations are adopting uh, this new technology, they're not doing it overnight in one shot for all of their information. They're intercepting their projects and accelerating those projects and assigning the ownership of the data that is relevant to those projects. So by breaking it into bite-sized chunks, it, it leaves the room, it leaves the window for that question to be answered, knowing that once that's answered, it's answered and that, that individual or that system or that legal entity now has control over that data for the first time ever. And what is that experience like? Like when they finally get control, like do they have a eureka moment? Uh, for sure. There's a uh, it is a bit of a, a new concept, the idea of, of universal control complemented with universal access. People today are so used to the way it's worked for so many decades now, where, you know, at best you're an, <laughs> assigned to have control over information, let's say, inside of an organization. What it means is you're setting policies, procedures, maybe you're doing access reviews. You're Again, you're not really in control. Being in control means you know who has access to data down to a data cell level. That access can be granted. It can be revoked. Ownership can be transferred. Like we envision a, a future where the idea of, of ownership of data is like ownership of property. It's legal. It's something that you can hand off to your kids in your will. It's true, absolute ownership. And with that control, the idea that, uh, like, imagine if you were you had that today for your personal information, your health records, your financial data. Yeah, today, we don't have any clue who has access to that. And, uh, you know, access to the live view of that versus a copy of that. But uh, imagine if you did. So imagine if you knew exactly every organization, every individual person who had access and you could take that away, you could provide it for free for a fee, you could hand over ownership. It's an entirely new world. But again, it is one that we see to be inevitable. I'm super fascinated by what that's ultimately going to enable in thinking about 
all the different applications and then even going beyond applications, I, I wonder how our application is going to look different in the future, given that we now have this universal control when we have this universal access to data. Right. I think the short answer is they'll be simpler. <laughs> Today, you know, you know, our, in our app for everything world, everything is so insanely complicated. Like, uh, I don't know if, if you feel your life is simpler today than it was uh, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, but I don't feel that way. I feel it's way more complicated. And, you know, I've got a phone in my pocket with uh, hundreds of apps and I go to my computer, I have hundreds of other apps and all these apps have different views on data. And it's, it's just complexity compounding on top of complexity on top of complexity. And at the end of it all, what's under the covers, you know, unless it's a video game, is pretty much the the information and the reason i need these apps is is to be able to interact with that data and understand that data so by by removing a lot of that complexity it will ultimately result in the simplification of of how we manage information in our personal lives and in our professional lives uh, personally i'm very excited about that future because uh, I, I i don't know about you, but i'm sick of complexity <laughs> i mean yeah for one on the consumer level you look at screens and screens of different iPhone apps. And then the enterprise level, you look at, wow, I've got to go to 16 different dashboards to get one answer. And and it's just getting, you know, more and more complex without solutions like Cinchi. And so, I mean, I think that's landmark. I also think that from what you're saying, I mean, hopefully it actually allows very different departments across a business to actually still have ownership. Recent Gardner stats were saying something like 75% of organizations within the next number of years, they're going to have very empowered chief digital officers or chief data officers, which is great. But you hope that those departments don't become gatekeepers to data, but instead actually empower their organizations to right. have it, to own it, to utilize it. And I can't imagine without some sort of data fabric technology that they'll be able to get there or to actually accomplish that goal, which, which I find super fascinating. Although I'm, one question I have for you, Dan, is you know, in the process of getting there, I mean, organizations have tons of untapped data. You know, I think it's something like up to 80% of enterprise data is actually kind of in the dark and it's not used, it's siloed. How do you actually functionally pull that together? How do you clean it? How do you join it? Yeah, and and I think the, the short answer there is you don't unless you need to. <laughs> so the idea of, you know, when people were all excited about data lakes and, and whatnot uh, not too long ago, the vision there was you're dumping all of your raw data in it and, you know, the advancements in computational power mean you can figure out what you want to do with that later. And and that's still true, but uh, a, a data fabric is solving quite a different problem is, is it's organizing the information as you go. So it's not a dumping ground for raw information. It's you organize as you go, as you deliver business outcomes, as you deliver capabilities. So inevitably, as, as you kind of navigate through your project landscape, if you work in a big company, as an example, you're going to have uh, interest in uh, in using, acquiring, or generating data that if it's not already on the fabric, then uh, you need to get it onto the fabric one way or another. And, the, and any data fabric technology platform will provide mechanisms to make it easy to scrub and dedupe and to organize and normalize and establish ownership and, and all that. But the, the difference here is that once you do that, uh, in the context of a single project, is done so that uh, the next project, if it needs access to that data, it's an access issue. It's not an integration issue. You're not re-scrubbing. You're not reconnecting. You're not doing any of that over and over again. So the projects are paying it forward, essentially, enabling that compounding simplification. So it's still a challenge with all the data being duplicated and disorganized. You know, this is not an overnight uh, phenomena. This is, this is going to happen over many, many years. So that's incredibly fascinating. And one of the parts I think about in, in that context is some people make predictions that this is all going to be happening, you know, by 2020 or 2025, and it's going to be happening really soon. And some of those pan out and other ones really don't. For example, some in, in regards to artificial intelligence and machine learning. But the one context seems to be that data, as we know it, is, is exponentially growing. It's accelerating and it's complexifying immensely. 
I'm wondering how you ultimately think that that maybe is, is creating an imperative to, to, to deal with this problem right now. Yeah, well, if you look at how we've the conventional architecture, it it's compounding because uh, as there's more and more data being generated, there's more and more integrations and more and more copies of that. So that you have this exponential factor, and the more copying, the more data, the less control. So it's it's uh, you know trending in the wrong direction. <laughs> to me, it's it's past that point of uh, peak complexity, and and there is absolute urgency on on reversing that trend. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to make heads or tails out of the information and get value out of that. Let alone the fact that it's going to continuously eat away at our ability to control our data. So I think we're seeing that being recognized, you know, in people's personal lives in terms of the desire to get that control. And we're seeing that recognized in the enterprise context where organizations are, quite frankly, sick and tired of uh, burning half of their entire IT budget, just moving data around with no end in sight. And that's one of the reasons why there's so much hype around, around the technology is because it represents that major shift. Super, super cool. I mean, as it links up to something that's, that's also of a certain amount of hype, um, I'm wondering how this trend, this data fabric can actually accelerate the commercialization of AI technology and, and how can it actually help AI to, to take place and to actually be operationalized. So AI is interesting in that it's artificial intelligence and machine learning are, are technologies that have been with us actually for, for some time. What's got people excited is, you know, advancements in computational power and make it so that we can use it in ways that we weren't able to use it previously. But uh, I'd say that people got excited about the advancements in computational power, but forgot about the fact that the data is a mess. <laughs> so it's the way I see the kind of AI and ML, it's it's like a shiny new sports car, but the, the world just doesn't have any, any roads or, or gas or charging stations. So if you think of the fabric as that missing infrastructure, it's the, the highways, it's the roads, it's the gas stations, it's the charging stations that allows you to actually get in and drive and drive at full speed. That's a great metaphor for it. And, uh, you know, as we're seeing the, the Tesla charging stations start to multiply in, in that context, something that seemed far fetched, even just five, 10 years ago now seems like an inevitable reality. And, and I suppose maybe that's the same case with data fabrics or AI like this is this is ultimately creating the infrastructure that, that is needed to actually advance the technology. That's so, so interesting. One question I had is sometimes people have multiple AIs running now, multiple different algorithms. I'm wondering, even though you've got this united data source now, is that actually going to make it easier to manage multiple AIs? Or is it potentially going to make it more challenging because you've got all of your data kind of aggregated together? Well, it's it's aggregated in terms of its ability to be interacted with. Don't forget that there's always the premise that that control is in effect and it's, it's now universal. So as an example, in our own use of, of our technology for our company, where we have automation, be it AI or even other simpler uh, automation, is the agents that are running that automation just don't have unrestricted access to it. So the idea of being able to, to limit access not only to an individual person needs to extend even to an artificial person and, uh, you know, an individual model an individual um, uh, algorithm should only have access to the data that it needs in order to do its job as long as the rightful owners of that have given it access. And what that enables uh, to, to happen is, is more parallel projects because you can have uh, different teams uh, implementing different models to solve different business problems where the infrastructure is managing the assurance that the owners are remaining in control throughout the entire journey. And with that safety net, it enables it to be done in a truly democratized way instead of you know the traditional approach where you have a central team that's doing it on behalf of the the, the business which is obviously severely limiting in terms of uh, their ability to deploy the technology and solve real world problems
And in the context of ethics around AI, do you think that this technology might help as well? Yeah, so I think it's it's actually critical in terms of ensuring explainability and traceability, not to mention, again, the, the idea that individual algorithms and models, etc., only have access to data that has been authorized by the rightful owner of that data. So I think that the infrastructure is what ultimately needs to make these type of controls, be it explainability, be it access, guaranteed and not requiring a, a for-profit venture to just uh, follow a legal contract. It needs to be just systematic. It needs to be enforced. That's the only way to actually have those assurances and, and again, ultimately get that control. So, Dan, a lot of this sounds fantastic. One open question I want to ask you is, do you think there's any potential challenges or risks that this model um, opens up, specifically when it comes to developing AI technology? Well, definitely, like a lot of things, there's new things that are good and things that are bad or just need to be aware of. So the, the good here is that as we start to federate out the usage of AI inside of organizations, is it simplifying by making the data more accessible for that use? But at the other end of that is that it's protecting the access based on, uh, you know, the intended use of that data from the rightful owner of that data. Uh, so what that means is, you know, depending on what you're ultimately trying to do, you just, you're going to be ultimately limited based on what you have access to. In the old world, that wasn't a technical constraint. It was maybe a legal constraint or a process constraint, but uh, it's now a technical constraint. So definitely it's going to be something that uh, organizations are going to have to adapt to. And like any change, it's simplifying accessibility, but at the same time, making it impossible to access uh, the data they don't have access to. So uh, let's say a good and bad from a pure AI productivity perspective, but I think that's just net net good uh, from a data control perspective. Yeah, fair enough. I think I think that makes a lot of sense. I guess in that context as well, I wonder if, you know, not just in regards to data access, but the actual roles that we create, especially in developers, I wonder if those are going to change as well. Uh, like the actual, even the way that we define those people, right. the developers, the data teams. Yeah, well, one of the things that uh, that we've done is we refer to anyone who's creating a solution as, as a builder versus uh, a developer. And part of that is we envision, and as do others as well, it's not unique to us, is the the eventual democratization of, you know, imagine the world where everyone's a builder and, and not just a builder of technology as we think of it today, but builder of even models and, and use of AI and, and, and whatnot, and just making that just available and accessible to everyone. So I, I do think you are going to see a major shift in the establishment of, of citizen developers, uh, where you have business users who are working collaboratively with uh, IT uh, specialists, but it's not, uh, you know, the old model of the business tells the technical person uh, their requirements and then technology implements it. It would be done in a far more interactive, far more collaborative way. And so it's technologies like this that are going to ultimately enable that. Very, very interesting. Dan, I know we don't have too much time left. I did want to give you a chance to discuss the new nonprofit that you're putting together as well. We'd love to hear a bit more about that. So it's called the Data Collaboration Alliance. It's a not-for-profit that we've uh, kicked off, and its mission is really to advance the some of the core principles that we've talked about here, which is the idea of universal ownership, and with that ownership, uh, having the benefit of universal control as the rightful owner, and at the other side of that, having universal access, which is the productivity side of that. So the alliance is something that is going to be driving uh, advocacy, uh, sponsoring and kicking off open source projects, working with volunteer teams from colleges and universities and other nonprofits to produce technologies, using data fabric technology and using other technologies for good causes. And, uh, you know, we're going to be focusing a lot on where there's projects where there's personal information being used that needs to be protected. So this is really, really cool. And I'm wondering, are you also offering any 
education or, or training to the community? Uh, definitely. Training is definitely in the mandate of, of the organization. So there will be free training and certification ar- around really the new methodology. And if any listeners are interested in learning more, you can check out the Alliance at uh, datacollaboration.org. That's a good URL to get. That's awesome. I would love to learn more about that myself. I'm, I'm definitely going to go check it out. Again, I know we're running shorter on time, Dan, but just wanted to ask as well. I know you, since you just recently raised your Series A, I think you're, you're growing the team, uh, launching the nonprofit. I mean, so many different things going on. would love to hear any last notes from you. You know, what's next for Cinchi? Yeah, with closing the round, we're definitely going to be growing. We're going to be doubling the team over the next little while. So if anyone out there is passionate about uh, enabling people and organizations to have control over their data, check out cinchi.com uh, slash careers. And we're also going to be launching a new series of live experiences where people can check us out and learn more about data fabric technology and best practices. And you can learn more about that at cinchi.com slash learning. Awesome. Thanks so much. I definitely encourage anyone who's interested in this kind of work to go check out these links on Cinchy.com. Again, that's Cinchy.com slash careers, Cinchy.com slash learning. That's a wrap for this episode, folks. Thanks again to our guest, Dan Demirs of Cinchy. Dan, thank you so much. Please be sure to visit the Ask AI website for the episode notes. I will make sure those are transcribed. We'll catch a video of Cinchy's data collaboration tech in action. You'll see that next to the podcast recording. Just remember, too, you can find all of our past episodes and sign up for our mailing list online. And our website is askai.org. Dan, thanks again. Thank you. Awesome. And we'll see you all next time. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Ask AI podcast. The executive producer was Chris McLellan. Additional production support was provided by Olina Mack and Kristen Riddell. To learn more about our webinar and chatbot projects and get information about sponsorships and volunteering, please visit our website at askai.org or email info at askai.org. Listeners can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Just search Ask AI.